If you'd remain standing for our scripture reading, which comes from the book of 2 John. And it reads, From the elder to the chosen gentlewoman and her children, whom I truly love, and I am not the only one, because also all who know the truth, because of the truth that remains with us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, will be ours who live in truth and love. I was overjoyed to find some of your children living in the truth, just as we had been commanded by the Father. Now, dear friends, I am requesting that we love each other. It's not as though I'm writing a new command to you, but it's one we have had from the beginning. This is love, that we live according to his commands. This is the command that you heard from the beginning, live in love. Many deceivers have gone into the world who do not confess that Jesus Christ came as a human being. This kind of person is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you don't lose what we've worked for, but instead receive a full reward. Anyone who goes too far and does not continue in the teaching about Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in this teaching has both the Father and the Son. Whoever comes to you who does not affirm this teaching should neither be received nor welcomed into your home, because welcoming people like that is the same thing as sharing in their evil actions. I have a lot to tell you. I don't want to use paper and ink, but I hope to visit you and talk with you face to face so that our joy can be complete. Your chosen sister's children greet you. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. If I can invite you to be seated, please. It's good to be with you all this morning. Thank you to those of you who decided to brave the snow and come out. It's good to have you here today. Uh, this morning, we're going to be starting a new sermon series for the new year that's going to take us to the middle of February when the season of Lent begins. And so this sermon series, we're going to be looking at the shortest letters in the New Testament, so short reads that have a big message for us. And they're... That, um, they're books because of how the Bible is organized, but if we go and look in the New Testament, these are all letters. They're letters or notes that someone who is a leader in the church has written to someone to a, a Christian community or to an individual, as we'll see a little later in the series in a few weeks. But most of these books are so short, like the one that we have read today in 2 John, it's not a chapter, it's one chapter in the Bible. And so often because of their length, their reference, but they're not necessarily looked at because they're so small. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to be taking some time to study and, and look at them, to look at the context. And then we're going to think about what it means in that letter that can uh, speak to us today and what it means for us to apply this letter to our Christian life. And so today we're looking at the shortest book of the Bible, which is 2 John. 2 John that we've just read as part of our worship service consists of 13 verses. Just 13. I was reading about this book of the Bible to try and figure out a little of its history, and New Testament scholar Raymond Brown writes this, is that he believes that the length of 2 John is not necessarily because of the message, because the individual that is writing the letter you know, says at the end, I have a lot more to tell you, but I'm not going to do it with pen and ink. I want to tell you in person. But Brown believes that the reason that this letter was so short is that they were using a piece of papyrus, and it was only a certain length, and so rather than try and find something else, because writing equipment was in short supply in ancient times, 
that the, the author of this letter basically wrapped it up by saying, I have a whole lot more to say to you, but I'm running out of paper, so I'll come see you as soon as I can. It's kind of like a text message where you abbreviate and just write something short. So it could be that there's more to be said. We obviously don't know if the individual ever made it to this church. But what we can guess is that this letter was written around 100 A.D., so it's a letter written from a leader in the Christian faith to another Christian church. Since the name of the author is not known, there are a number of different ideas who wrote it, and you can see them on the slide. Some believe that the author was an unnamed man of elderly dignity or importance within the community of faith. Now, the, those that believe that believe that it could have been the beloved disciple that we read about in the Gospels, who is John. And so there's some that say that the author was John. Possibly. Another idea is the author was an unnamed church leader. That could work. It could have been that the author was one of the 12 apostles. Who are the 12 apostles were the ones that were commissioned by the church to go out and to carry the gospel message of Jesus Christ out into the world from Jerusalem and beyond. So these weren't necessarily the 12 disciples, although some of the disciples ended up being apostles. But it could have been one of those who had taken the gospel, whether they knew Jesus or not. So Peter knew Jesus, and he took the, the gospel, and he was an apostle. Paul did not know Jesus, and he took the gospel from Jerusalem and beyond, and so he was still an apostle. So it could be any of those type of people. Another belief is that the author is an unnamed companion or a disciple of Jesus who was not one of the official twelve. And so it would have been someone who journeyed with Jesus, witnessed his teachings, heard what he said, saw everything happen, but yet we don't read about this individual in the Bible at all. Or the last idea is that the author of this book is a disciple of one of the original 12 disciples of Jesus, meaning that the author transmitted a firsthand account that they heard from someone who had actually seen, heard, and witnessed everything that Jesus did. Irenaeus of Lyons, who was a church father, he was a bishop in Lyons, France, uh, who defended the faith from 175 to 189. It's just a small part of his life. He wrote how he learned about the ministry of Jesus. He says, I heard it from a certain presbyter who had heard it from those who had seen the apostles and from those who had taught. And so what Irenaeus is saying is that I heard firsthand from someone who had firsthand account of the ministry and life of Jesus Christ. And that's how I learned about it in my own life. And we were able to trace and see that Irenaeus was able to, to follow a bishop named Polycarp who lived in Smyrna, Turkey. And so Polycarp was a direct disciple of the Apostle John. So we have the Apostle John and then Polycarp and then Irenaeus who was taught by him. And so he was able to say, I was able to hear from someone who heard a first-hand account of the ministry and life of Jesus Christ, and that is what I am able to pass on to you in my teachings. Personally, I think the author of 2 John is either someone who walked directly with Jesus but was not a recognized disciple, or someone who heard firsthand from the apostle John himself the ministry and teaching of Jesus. Because this person was able to articulate and to focus on the gospel of love that we read about in the gospel of John. About what it meant for Jesus, who was the word made flesh, the incarnate son of God, to come down to the earth, 
to walk and live amongst us and to offer himself not out of anything except for the love that God has for each of us. And so this letter is short. And there's a couple passages of scripture that really jumped out at me this week as I was reading about it. The first, as you'll see on the screen, is from 2 John 5 and 6, where he writes, Now, dear friends, I am requesting that we love each other. It's not as though I'm writing a new command to you, but it's one we have had from the beginning. This is love that we live according to his commands. This is the command that you heard from the beginning, live in love. So now this passage of scripture is the one probably that is what uh, makes me think that, that the author of this book heard firsthand from the Apostle John or the disciple John who wrote that gospel of what he believed the ministry of Jesus was about. Because at the very center of what 2 John verses 5 and 6 is saying to us is that aside from everything else that we have learned of the Christian faith and of what it means to be a follower of God and a disciple of Jesus Christ, the essential thing that we are to do is to do what? Is to love. Is to live in love. And that's so consistent with John's gospel. You could read these verses essentially in the gospel of John you know, John 3.16, for God so loved the world, da-da-da-da-da-da. And we could continue by saying, I've had this command, this is love, we live according to his commands, and this is the command you've heard from the beginning, to live in love. And it would read seamlessly into John's gospel. Because this author is writing to us and helping us to see and to remember of who Jesus is and of what God did and does in coming to walk amongst us. It's to live in love. And so the author of 2 John is not coming up with a new teaching or a new idea. The author of 2 John is not coming up with this new focus of what it means for us to be a follower of God who professes faith in Jesus Christ and who seeks salvation. What he is saying is that the basis of being a follower of Jesus is to be someone who lives in response to the grace and love that God has given us and to make that the command upon our hearts and upon our lives. Now, see, we may say, no kidding. We know that Jesus came to bring that truth and love in a way that he lived. But part of the reason the author is articulating it in this way is to set us up for the passage of Scripture and the warning that he is about to offer in the next passage of Scripture. For in those times, very much like our own time, there's a group within the Christian faith that is spreading a different message under the umbrella of Christianity that is not true to the apostolic and original faith. And it's helpful to us as we read this letter today in 2 John, in the scripture that we're about to hear in a minute, that he actually lists the, the, the heresy or, the, or the, um, this different teaching of faith that he's referencing. Where he says, Many deceivers have gone into the world who do not confess that Jesus Christ came as a human being. This kind of person is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you don't lose what we've worked for, but instead receive a full reward. Anyone who goes too far and does not continue the teaching about Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in this teaching has both the Father and the Son. Whoever comes to you does not affirm this teaching and should neither be received nor welcomed into your home because welcoming people like that is the same thing as sharing in their evil actions. I appreciate that the author of John does not um, skip over the area that they see as a problem. 
Because what he is telling us is that the earliest challenges in Christian faith was a version of teaching called Gnosticism. It encouraged believers to look for a higher knowledge and a more sophisticated understanding of Christian belief to that which the apostles and the other uh, local churches could offer. Right, so this, this message had a wide appeal because it gave people the opportunity to learn secret knowledge. And who doesn't want to know some secret knowledge, right? But I think the other thing that probably was more attractive to people was the secret knowledge that the Gnostics taught where they believed that Jesus was not physically human or he was not physically God when he was born. He was physically human, and meaning that, that God descended and the divinity ascended, descended on him when he was baptized. And then his ascension, actually the divine part of him left him before he was crucified on the cross. And so what they're saying is the birth of Jesus, Jesus was fully human. The presence of God was not in him. And so he was born as a baby. And then at his baptism, when the, the dove descended upon him and we hear the word of God, like it says in the gospel of Mark saying, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. That's when they believe that, that the divinity of Christ or, or the presence of God in making Jesus fully divine and fully human was a thing. And so then Jesus was both divine and human as he conducted his ministry. But then after he was betrayed and before he was crucified, the, the divine left him. So that the man that hung on the cross was not God, but the man that hung on the cross was simply a man. See, that doesn't work with the scripture that we profess and believe. That doesn't work if you read the Gospel of John where, where John says that, that God is the Word made flesh, that Jesus is the Word made flesh. That uh, doesn't work with what it means for us as we profess the, the incarnation of God coming to, out of His love to, to dwell and live among us. Instead, it was something different. And so what the letter writer today is saying is you have to guard yourself against those teachings that don't lead you to a, a deeper faith and that stray so far from what it means to be followers of God and of Jesus Christ as it was taught from the very beginning. And so what the author is saying is to the Christian community and to us, it's to guard ourselves from these other teachings that take us away from the truth, from these other teachings that take us from what we profess when we say the Nicene Creed together, or when we say the Apostles' Creed together, or when we say that Jesus was a part of the Trinity, that, that God chooses to interact with us in terms of Father and of Son and of Holy Spirit. He's saying stay away from those things that take you away from, from what it means to be a follower of God and Jesus Christ. Stay away from those things that, that lead you to believe that, that you can achieve and accomplish salvation because of what you do and not because of what Christ has done on your behalf. Friends, what he's saying is stay away from those teachings that are not rooted in the love of God and that don't call us to repent of our sin and to live in a more devoted and dedicated way to God, not because of what it means for us, but because, but because of what it means for us to live in response to that which he has already done for us. See, that's what 2 John is saying. Is he saying that there are going to be those that tell you what it means to live in a different way 
and to guard yourselves. Because if it's a way that, that tells us that, that Jesus was something different, if it's in a way that tells us that, that salvation comes by something we can do, if it's in a way that tells us that the resurrection didn't really happen, then that's not what it means to be a Christian. That's not what it means to be a person who professes the incarnation of Jesus Christ as God sent His Son to walk and dwell amongst us. And it's not what it means for us to be a people who choose to invite the Holy Spirit to work in and through our lives to guide us and direct us so that our lives would be changed, not for my glory, but for the glory of God. See, what John wants us to remember is two things. is to guard ourselves against those things that will lead us astray and that will lead us further from the cross of Jesus Christ. And to live in love. Because that's the root of what John's gospel is about. That's the root of, of why Jesus came. And that's the very foundation and the very reason that he died on the cross is because he loved each of you. And so our response is to live in love.